Breakpoint, a Daredevil fanfic, part four of the November series. Written by Saturn Child, read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid. Rating, Mature. Archive warnings, graphic depictions of violence. Relationships, Frank Castle and Matt Murdock. Frank Castle slash Matt Murdock. Frank Castle and Karen Page. And Frank Castle and Curtis Hoyle. Additional tags. Frat Week, Marvel, Body, Freeform, Wumptober, 2021, Amnesia, Memory Loss, Canon Typical Violence, Blood and Injury, Developing Relationship, Mutual Pining, Concussion, Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, PTSD, Hurt Frank Castle, Hurt Matt Murdock, Wump, Disassociation, Unintentional Self-Harm, Hallucinations, Hurt Comfort, Angst, Flashbacks, Kissing, Past Child Abuse, Protective Matt Murdock, Night Terrors, Medical Inaccuracies, Anxiety, and Alternate Universe Canon Divergence. There are additional trigger warnings attached to this story, but as they are spoilery, they will be at the end of the audio file at this timestamp. 15620. Summary. Why won't you tell me? Murdoch mumbles defeated. Frank pointedly doesn't think of the reason why. The warehouse. Karen. Nelson. The headlines. Fisk. Don't matter if I tell you. You won't feel it. Gotta remember, Red. He rubs a palm across his face. It's what you gotta do. Frank has to figure out how to guide Matt through the painful process of recovering his memories at the same time he deals with Fisk and the fake daredevil. Breaking point. The point at which a person gives way under stress. The point where a situation becomes critical. It only breaks. It does not change. It only goes from one to many. Shatter. This is the art of living with a ticking heart. Red doesn't mention overhearing Frank on the phone, so he doesn't bother wasting time wondering if he did. Doesn't matter if he's being a stubborn shit and trying to buy himself time before another let's play 20 questions or not. Frank isn't wasting his breath on that when he has more important things needing his attention. When he's not sure what to do with the kid, not sure what to do with Karen, him and Nelson, Fisk and the daredevil copycat. And he sure as hell doesn't know how to deal with this not being a mission anymore. Because it isn't. Maybe it was at some point in the beginning. Back then, when Red called, desperate in a way Frank had never heard before, and Frank had gotten there too late, and Red's efforts hadn't been enough, and he had to watch him drag himself over the bloodied warehouse floor with his skull bashed in. Killing half of the Costa family on that mansion? That was a mission. Shoving a gun in the back of the surgeon's head had been a mission. Bringing Red to the cabin, too. And then he found him in the bathroom, hands shaking and unable to coordinate a single limb, mumbling over and over again, and probably not even realizing he was doing it. The same name, until his voice was barely there. He sat on that porch and heard Red lose his mind just a little bit more, saw the man behind the mask and the glasses. And then it didn't feel like a mission. Didn't feel like scorching sun hot on his nape, boiling water inside the canteen that barely quenched his thirst. Didn't feel like fingertips bitten and dry from handling gunpowder. It felt like the park hearing the first bullet fly, the first body drop. Red wakes up again, chest getting stuck on an inhale that never leaves. 
It's the third time already tonight, and Frank wishes he could say he was surprised. Stop trying to fall back asleep when it became clear it was a bad night. No, no, don't! Red. Have to, I have to get to... Frank! A wounded noise leaves his wobbling lips, and Frank sits down on the bed, sighing in exhaustion and dropping the thermal by his feet. Where? I gotta... You did. It's all good now. Red's nails claw into his arms before digging deep, steadying himself. Frank uses a hand to untangle his fingers from him, holding his hand tight, lets him try to fight it before he recognizes the weight anchoring him down to earth. Frank. In a whisper now. He always does that. Frank, they'll see us move. They won't. We're out, remember? No, no, I have to... Frank, did I get to them? Did I stop them? He flinches at every little hiss of breath squeezing through his teeth, wild eyes bobbing all around the room, as if expecting someone to jump at him. We got out? Frank's eyes instinctively jump to the sutures in his head, the scabbing over the incision from where bone poked through, carefully cards two fingers through silky hair, the color slightly dull with lack of proper nutrition. You did. We're out. Mission's over. His hair is growing too long. Needs a trim. You can rest now. Sober? Frank swallows over the dryness of his mouth and parched throat, gets close enough to kiss Red's forehead, but doesn't. Yeah, it's over, Red. Closes his eyes, presses his lips together in a tight line before pulling back. Sover, you can rest now. Still holding tight to his hand, Red sleeps again, breathing slowing down gradually, like there was some measure of peace in the contact and the assurance. Red barely remembers a thing when he wakes up. Frank lets it go, like all the other nights before. As many things lately, Frank isn't sure about letting Murdoch alone in the safe house, but he wanted to check out his apartment. Resupply, too. He knew of a few things he could get from Turk Barrett, a few others from a former military lady he knew back in the day. When he's got his supplies, he heads to Hell's Kitchen. Not unexpectedly, there's no news about the shootout at Murdoch's place, and the attack on FDR Drive was attributed to a turf war or some bullshit. He does a few rounds, makes sure there isn't anyone watching the place before he goes in, climbing up the stairs through the front door this time. The door was replaced, but there was crime scene tape crossing them out. The hallway had bullet holes from both sides, and blood stains that hadn't been washed out. The couch was destroyed, and so was the kitchen table which was just as Frank remembered it so far. What stood out were the overturned drawers and the missing laptop and case files Frank remembered from when they came a week before. Stupid. He goes back to the safe house with the nagging feeling that he found something, but just didn't know what. A piece in the puzzle that he couldn't match yet to a bigger picture. Red is putting away the gift box he still slept with sometimes, when he thought Frank wasn't looking, inside his gym bag when he walked through the front door. The airflow makes the garbage bag taped to the window frame inflate outwards before settling back. He's used to Red acting a bit like a wild creature, tilting his head this way and that to fish for tells and details, a bit like a deer did to check for disturbances or predators around it. Sniffs the air sometimes like a fox hunting its prey. In the last week, they laid low, and Red got the time to explain a bit to him about his senses. The accident. In return, Frank was quickly getting used to the questions, prodding him for memories, trying to trigger new things out of him, stupid things he wouldn't usually be bothered to learn. High school? Uh, 
I remember graduating, I think. I had just broken up with a girlfriend. I think... What's her name? He had frowned from where he was doing the exercises for his right arm. Anyway, she found out I liked guys too and was a bit disgusted, I think. She said she didn't want to date a fairy. Frank had scoffed humorlessly from where he was scrounging for a meal. What did you say to her? Nothing, Murdoch shrugged. But then I went and kissed a guy in front of the whole class after the graduating ceremony. Frank had snorted. Of course he fucking did. I think we dated for a while, but I'm not sure. He prods him about memories of his dad, of his training in school. Sometimes he goes too far without realizing it. Asking things about Red's adult life is the surest way to get him to have an episode. It's no surprise that, when he does remember something, a bar he used to like, the smell of the cheap drinks they served there, he shuts down for the rest of the day. But there are a few things Red seems to be able to hold on to, Frank thinks, watching that clever glint in his eyes as Red sniffed the air. You went to my place. Frank grunts, walks to the desk to take off his stuff, keeps his handgun on the coffee table where he can reach it if he needs to, and sits down on the couch, sends Red a look. Take your goddamn feet off my ammo box. It's comfy. Frank scoffs, annoyed at Red's little smirk. Looking for the people after me? Nah, just checking. Murdoch nods, worries his bottom lip with his tongue in a way that Frank's been getting real acquainted to. Say it, Red. The redhead acknowledges it with a subtle shift in his direction before he shakes his head. When we met, he frowns as if staring at a particularly difficult math problem. Frank has a hard time not getting lost in the sight of a pouty lower lip. I went to you, didn't I? In a hospital. His heart does a mild leap in surprise. You were hurt. You smelled of... grief and anger. I remember walking inside and calling your name, but then it all goes hazy. Any expectation that he remembered anything about Karen and Nelson seeps out of him, and Frank leans against the couch's backrest. It's the first solid memory he talked about that happened past his 18 years old. Yeah, I... He swallows back down the urge to prod, knows how well that ended up the last time. When they got me in custody, I was in bad shape. Hmm. But Murdoch seems lost in something else now. I dreamed about the bombings. Frank's confusion must be audible in his breath, or heart, or whatever it was Red used to track those things, because he feels the need to explain. In Hell's Kitchen? I was close to one of them. I don't know why. And then... His eyebrows crease down in a frown. Fingers come up to scratch at the itching scab on the side of his head, and drop back down once Frank catches his wrist in a firm hold. A man was dying. I don't know. He had a funny accent. And Red, for the life of him, can't make sense of it, apparently. Frank sighs, stands up, takes two bottles of beer out of the dingy fridge, and brings them back to the couch. He had been banking on Red remembering something about his double life, but he clearly doesn't, and that complicates a whole lot of things. Matt picks up the label of the bottle, staring sightlessly ahead, and doesn't drink for a while. Frank chugs some of his own down, checking on him from time to time. Make sure he's not about to flip and tear his hands in broken glass again. The wounds from the other time were only now healing. He thinks for a moment Red's about to ask him all the questions he's refrained from asking since the cabin. Why didn't Frank take him to a hospital? Why didn't he ask anything else about the hallucinations? Why did he get hurt in the first place? But instead he... Why won't you tell me? Murdoch mumbles defeated. 
Frank pointedly doesn't think of the reason why. The warehouse. Karen. Nelson. The headlines. Fisk. The fake devil. Don't matter if I tell you. You won't feel it. Gotta remember, Red. He rubs a palm across his face. It's what you gotta do. Murdoch looks about to protest heavily before he exhales shakily. Do you think... He stops, shakes his head. Say it. Do you think that when my head heals... Red trails off. Frank doesn't need him to finish the thought to see where he's getting at, though. He looks at him, then, head tilted back to drink the rest of the beer in one go. Looks at the scabbing wound on the side of his head, hiding loose bone held together by flimsy wire, and remembers watching every step of that surgery. Piece by piece of dirt and debris pulled out of the brain and the bone. Doc wasn't a neurosurgeon, couldn't do much besides getting the bone in place and hope for the best. Kurt, the last time he checked in with him, had thought Murdoch's memory was behaving unusually, that the episodes during the night sounded like flashbacks, and some night terrors. It indicated trauma, according to him, not TBI-related memory loss. Also said that, besides helping Red reconnect with his environment and memories, he needed to give him a safe space that he needed a safe way to deal with the traumatic events that led to this. That this had all the signs of being disassociative amnesia. Yeah, maybe. It's not really a lie, but Red must hear it. Frank waits for him to say anything, ask anything. Stews in the tension and waits for the silence to snap like a rubber band pulled too hard. They don't speak a word. Red finally takes a swig of his beer. I can go with you. Frank's heart must be telling Red how not on board he is with this, pounding furiously in his chest, bruising his damn ribs all over again. Enough that Red tries using that fucking lawyer voice of his. Probably doesn't even realize he's doing it. I'm not going to get in your way, but I can handle myself. You know I can. Fuck that, Red. You can barely tell up from down when you walk up those stairs and you want to track Mertz with me? Kid was out of his goddamn mind. Frank was seriously considering tying him up to something and leaving him behind. Maybe kill two birds with one stone. Chain him to a chimney. Get that head of his remembering other times. But if Fisk sent more people this way, he'd be alone and tied up and... Shit. Not an option. I'm a good tracker. I've been trained to take down enemies under extreme duress. I can... Shut up. You shut your mouth. He doesn't need a show and tell on the 73 shades of fucked up of the kid's childhood. Take down enemies under extreme duress. Jesus fucking Christ. But Red isn't lying. He may not remember being Daredevil, but his body remembers fighting. Knows fighting. He can be a sweet guy, and he puts up a good front. But that's half of it. There's the other half. The devil. The soldier. The man he was trained to become. Both tearing at each other as fast as they mingle and overlap. Frank sees it in his tensing muscles. His clenching fists. The gracefully balanced pose he still holds, even when way past exhausted or when his migraines hit. Elbows tucked by his waist, ready to attack. Got him imagining Red, scrawny for his age and with the same fiery stubbornness, being taught by that ninja asshole in a basement. Getting beaten down and jumping up again, cleaning the blood off his nose with small hands and pushing forward, attacking a guy twice his size, unbothered by the power imbalance. Little Red doesn't get out of his head even when he stares at him then. Very much grown up, and yeah, maybe not exactly tall, but built lean and solid, more like a martial artist than a brawler like Frank. Still very much easy to pin down, 
And then he hits that head of his, and what will he do? Pick up the pieces of the devil from the ground on the off chance of saving him a second time while every cop and scumbag in the city is after him? But then again, Red won't stay still. Got enough energy and control over himself now that he won't just sit back and obey. Better to take the asshole with him. Make sure he doesn't brain himself trying to follow Frank through rooftops. Fuck's sake. Frank grabs at his collar and pulls him close, enough so they're breathing into each other's faces. Huffs like a bull against his face and tightens the hole when Red makes a poor attempt at escaping. Shows him he has no chance fighting Frank. Not like this. You disobey one word I say to you once we're out the door. Just one goddamn word. Yes, sir. Frank growls at the taunt in his voice. He misses drowsy, doped-up Red from a few days ago. You think this is funny? Those guys, Red, they're no joke. And I don't care what fucked-up war you were trained to fight in, kid. You're in no condition to... They'll mull right through you, he thinks, heart-pounding. And you won't stand a chance. Useless trying to make Red understand risks. He never did. Or if he did, he never let that stop him. You'll do what I say when I say it, the way I say it. Do you understand? Yes, Frank. He lets go of him when the air becomes too hot between their faces. Rubs at the back of his scalp. The thought of Red, those mercenaries, and the warehouse flash like lightning. God damn it! No coming back now. He produces a spare knife and shoves it at Red. Isn't surprised at the disapproving frown. You need it, you use it. Got it? I'm not killing. For crying out loud! You don't need to kill shit! You're down for the count, but you're a fighter, Red. You know where to hit, and you hit goddamn hard. Red's look changes, turns curious. Frank knows that look. Frank just threw him a bone, and Red won't stop chewing on it until he gets to the marrow. Did I fight you before? He sighs. There's no use lying when Red will know. Yeah. You said I was a lawyer. Frank evades the question, turns around to check his gear once again before they leave. You said you were trained. No, don't do that. Tell me! Got no time, Red, you know? We're leaving. Murdoch slams his hand on the table. A mug breaks. Frank hadn't seen him coming, had forgotten how fast he was, how quiet he could be. It's the first time he sees the devil in those hazel green eyes since the warehouse. The first time he thinks the kid might use that knife to gut him open like a fish. He sees him hold himself back from pouncing on it at the last second. His knuckles strain under his skin. His muscles twitch. The strength and the technique is there, but his body can't handle it, and Red knows it. I have a right to know something that concerns me. Got nothing to say to you, Murdoch. I told you before. Bullshit! It's my life, my life, that you're keeping from me! Frank slams his own gun down. You're goddamn right I am. It's enough to shut Red up, taken aback. Even fucking angry like he is, Frank can't take the sight of those youthful doe eyes of his. Those sutures in his head. His goddamn head. Didn't ask for permission, Red, and I'm not begging for forgiveness. Not now. I sure as hell didn't ask to be here. Red's hand slides off the desk, hangs lifelessly by his side. Why are you, then? Frank rubs at his scalp and turns his back to him, collecting his handgun and shoving it in the holster. Because it's my fault, Matt. He shakes his head, refuses to look back as he strolls purposefully to the door. It's my own goddamn fault. The ride is silent. 
Frank would usually opt for walking. The bar is at a 40-minute distance if he's going at breakneck pace, but it's not an option with Red's head still on the mend. Certainly not a good idea if they need to make another hasty escape. Calling Karen had been a good idea. She gave him what she knew about the dead bodies mysteriously disappearing from the morgue before they could be processed, and the FBI is, apparently, unaware of it. There was no mention, or even a rumor of, the shooting at Red's place around the New York Bulletin. Only reason she knew about it was because a neighbor of Red's, former client, called her when she came home to find the wall full of bullet holes. Other neighbors she talked to mentioned giving statements to two cops in particular, and told that they should keep quiet since it was part of an ongoing investigation. Someone was covering their tracks, and if Frank's info checked out, Fisk's appeal had suspiciously fast-tracked a few steps, evidence proving his innocence notably appearing out of thin air. It wasn't anything too big to get him out of prison yet, but if Frank knew one thing about Wilson Fisk, it's that he knew how to play the long game. He shoots a glance at the desolate picture slumped on his passenger seat and huffs, decides to throw him a bone before that kicked fucking puppy abandoned in the rain look got under his skin. A while back, Red, you... You helped on the arrest of this scumbag, Wilson Fisk. That gets him a delicate slant of his head, curious eyes peeking owlishly up. Fingers twitch. The gesture has gone too quickly for Frank to unravel it. Guy was a piece of shit. Think he was charged with some white-collar crimes, but the stuff you couldn't prove, Red. He got a lot of people killed. Had a network, a lot of bad guys under his hand. You put him there, Red. And a bunch of corrupt cops and politicians. Did a good job, too, from what I heard. Matt offers him a small, genuine smile and the admittedly poor attempt at appeasing. It fades too soon. But a few weeks ago, he made a deal with the feds, offering intel on his competition, some major players in the city, got himself a deal to keep his girl clean, got shanked right after that, too. On purpose, I'd imagine. The quick-witted little bastard mumbles, turning his head back to the window. Frank nods, if only to test those senses of his. Not surprisingly, Red notices it. Where is he now? A penthouse. The word comes out as a derisive scoff, hands squeezing around the steering wheel, leather creaking under the pressure. Watch 24-7, or so they say. But it don't sound good, Red. Guy's too much for the feds. The system can't handle him. Well, actually, Frank didn't think the system was equipped to deal with anything more serious than armed robberies. Didn't think there was any place for rapists, murderers, and scumbags like Fisk to reform or pay. People like them, for Frank, there was only one way to pay. Why is he coming after me? Isn't that the question? How the hell did he manage to connect the dots between Matt Murdock and Daredevil, when, so far, most people didn't? Frank had done so by chance, recognized those plush pink lips and the smooth, velvety tone. May I call you Frank? With that vulnerable intonation of someone trying too damn hard to help something that's beyond saving. And then, once he saw it, he saw everything. The purposeful drag of his shoulders, making himself smaller, and when he forgot himself, his posture would change, his jaw would set tight, elbows tucked in, spine straight. He doubted himself for a good while, too, until he spotted him through the scope of that rooftop. You put him in that cage, Red, but I don't know the details. Hadn't met you back then. Murdoch mulls over the information with a thoughtful pose, nails picking at the delicate webbing between each finger, thumb from time to time rubbing at his knuckles, 
a nervous tick of some kind. Frank tongues away the bad taste in his mouth, the back of his front teeth. I remember someone dead. He stops moving, shoulders tense, waits for Red to continue. A woman. An old woman. Was it him? You remember, huh? That was new. Red's been getting better, but he's still a mess. The indifference he showed during the first week in relation to his lost memory was gone, too. Kid was trying. Hard. I was. He takes a deep breath and tries again. I was standing in a morgue. I was furious. And, and I felt guilty. I could smell her. She hadn't been dead for long. Someone was crying, I think. But I don't remember who. I don't remember anything, goddammit. Hey. Kid is holding his head again, fingers lightly tracing the edges around the wound. Hey, take it easy. I'm fine. He doesn't look it. His body sways lightly, as if fighting off vertigo. His face loses color. His lips wobble before he bites down on the lower one. Slowly lets go. I'm fine. Frank keeps his eyes on the road and his ears on the passenger seat, alert for another breakdown, until Red finally slants back, dipping his head to rest against the cushioned seat. He's careful when he asks, What else you got? Red sighs before answering. I remember her. I don't remember the fist guy. Um, I remember a warehouse of some sort, by the docks. I was really hurt, and there was something burning. I jumped through a window, I think, or crashed into one, but... He huffs in frustration. Frank nods in acknowledgement. That seems to get Murdoch out of his head. What else do you know about Fisk? The Marine only sighs. <sighs> Not the time now, Red. And it isn't. The bar matches Karen's description, and, if her info was right, at least three of the mercs that turned up dead at Red's place frequented the place, including Martin Wallace, the leader Frank shot in the knee. He can't take Red inside, though. Even without his beard, Frank still has a chance that Martin and Army Jacket Lady didn't recognize him in the middle of the firefight. Has a small chance that the assholes inside wouldn't either. People usually only recognize the skull. He stops a block away from the place, turns the engine off and sighs. Now to the hard part. Red, you gotta stay here. You won't go alone. Christ Jesus. Yeah, I will. And no offense, Red, but you're no good as backup right now. Murdoch scowls, those pretty lips twisting down. I thought we talked about this. No, Red. He takes his gun out of the holster and checks the mag before shoving it back in. You talked about it. Ran your mouth like you always do. I said you could come. I didn't say we'd play Batman and Robin. Now you stay inside. You can't go in alone. I can and I will, Red. For fuck's sake. What happens when I have to use this, huh? He asks, waving the handgun around. Red's expression changes. Yeah, you'll either freeze or panic, Red. And I ain't judging you on that, but I can't have you on my conscience. I'll wait on the rooftop, then. Frank stares at him in disbelief. On the roof? What the fuck do you mean, you'll be on the rooftop? You and your fucked up head? You wanna hang around rooftops? You're out of your goddamn mind. Murdoch just frowns with that determined expression of his that had him taken aback more than once before and earned his respect way too many times for comfort. Frank can't look away from the strength Red manages to gather, even then. So much like wildfire, burning everything it touches, and fuck if he's not getting burned alive too. He shakes his head, heartbeat erratic, rubs at the back of his head. 
No way he's stopping the kid from doing what he wants to, short of tying him up or knocking him down. Damn if he doesn't want to. He takes the spare burner he arranged for his supply run, dropping it on Red's palm. You stay here, you listen close. Fuck's sake, terrible idea. You hear anything suspicious, you call. If I need you, I tell you. If I say I don't, Red, if I tell you to stay, you stay. I don't care what happens inside the place. I don't care what you think you gotta do. I tell you to run away, you run. Do you understand? Do you, Red? Because if you don't, just say it. I ain't scraping your body off the floor again. I'm not doing that. Murdoch considers him carefully, his expression softening slightly. Frank wants to wipe it off his face. Yes, but... Ah, oh, fuck. If you get in trouble, I'm coming in. If I tell you to stay... Frank gets as close as he can without taking a bite out of those goddamn lips. You stay. Murdoch's eyes flash, staring back fearlessly. Frank growls under his breath before standing up and slamming the door shut. No fucking way Red will stay put. He's still trying to pick apart the aggressiveness from the sheer worry he caught on Frank's voice when the creak of a door opening and closing a few yards away gets his attention. Whatever is on tap, the Marine grumbles. Matt tilts his head towards him, picking apart the sound of the gun clinking against his belt when he sits on the bar stool. The wood winds softly under the added weight. Looking for work, amigo? The woman has a thick accent and a deep voice. She sounds tall, but he's too far to make sense of it. Nah, buddy of mine. Got his crew slashed to pieces. Trying to find what the fuck happened. You mean Marty, yeah? Yeah, I was out of town for a while. Find out he was shot. Matthew is reluctantly impressed with how easily Frank blends in, how his body language shifts and adapts, even his vocabulary. He's good at reading the environment, the people around him. Good at playing them, too. He heard that once, right? I look scared to you? Frank was tied up, wasn't he? Matt remembered coming in, and Frank had been a mess. His lips were bloody. He had broken ribs. His foot was... What had happened to his foot? One batch, two batch. Why was he there? He was Frank's lawyer. He met him at the hospital. Why would he go after him alone? Last I heard, Marty took his crew and went after some white-collar lawyer. King's orders. No one knows what happened much. Some people think it was the devil. Daredevil? Yeah, I don't know much about it, but you saw what happened at the warehouse on 47th. Guy flipped. Wrongness creeps into his guts and his skin crawls immediately zoning out of the conversation. His brain turns to static. His ears focus solely on the dizzying sound of blood rushing through his veins. Feels his skin itching in all the places he can't scratch. Knuckles creaking with how he clenches his fists. He does his inventory again. Frank had suggested the idea after he suddenly came up with some memory exercises, which he's quite sure his friend, and what was his name again, had been the one to pass it on. What does he know? He knows Frank told him he was a lawyer. He knows there were suits and ties and case files in his apartment. He knows that he trained for the war for years. He doesn't remember how many it was. He doesn't know if Stick left or not. He thinks that he did. He knows Frank told him he didn't have family, but that he had friends. He knows no one has come looking for him until now. He knows Frank Castle is a mass murderer, a vigilante, a man tortured by loss, who, somehow thought Matt's life was worth saving. He knows Wilson Fisk wants him dead. He knows he was Frank's lawyer, but Frank said they fought before. 
He was there when Frank got tortured. By who? Why? Frank knows about his enhanced senses. How? Matt tilts his head back, and, like he did all the other days since Frank's memory exercises became a thing, tries to build chronology. Dad and Lindsay before the accident. Accident before stick. Stick before high school. High school before bombings. Before the burning man. All of that before Frank. Murdoch's always get back up. Grandma died. Dad tells him not to waste food. They're both a bit skinny. Lindsay shares lunch with him. She's his only friend. He drowns in the pool. Dad comes to save him. He drowns in the river. No one comes to save him. A man crosses the street. I can't see! He remembers screaming. I can't see! The chemicals burning his hands bright red, collecting around his eyes, ears, nose, mouth. The sheets on the hospital bed feel like sandpaper. Hey, Mia, who's this joker? He hears his dad on TV. He waits for him in the kitchen so they can celebrate together. He hears the gunshot. He runs to the alley. Marty's pal was asking me about what happened at the lawyer's. The nice lady officer talks to him. Someone takes him home to pack his things. There's nowhere for him to go. They take him to St. Agnes. Sister Maggie guides him inside. Everything was so loud. Huh. Marty never mentioned ya. Just back. Military? Former? Don't I know it. And then everything is a blur. Vague recollections here and there. He kept training. He went to college. He walked inside an office space and... He can have the view. He said that. He remembers saying that. Wait, wait, wait. I know you. Fuck. It's the Punisher. Put the gun da- Bang. Matt immediately jumps up out of the car, listening hard through the vertigo of moving too quickly. Tries to track down the heartbeat he's been waking up to for what feels like forever. A whispered voice. Stay red. Don't you dare. A grunt and the sound of knuckles against flesh. Another gunshot. And Matt is stuck to the sidewalk. Shaking. Mind going blank just right to the point that it all comes rushing in. Frank's in danger. Don't you fucking dare, Red. Stay there. Another gunshot. His legs shake. He can't. He can't stand there and listen to him die. Can't wait back and listen to him get hurt. He's slamming the car shut and running towards the bar in a second, following the sound of Frank's heartbeat. Sticks a voice hammering down the break in his skull. Get up and fight. He finds a window in the back. As long as he manages to hide his presence, he's got the higher ground. Wounded and in disadvantage or not. So he's careful to slip through the window quietly, taking the knife out because he stands no chance against the vertigo if he throws a kick. The blade whistles through the air, perfectly sharpened. The room smells of mold and dust. A refrigerator hums, stacked with frozen meat and foods Matt can't identify by scent. The first person he finds stands at the short hallway by a bathroom, heart speeding up and a gun in his hand, a thick bandana around his neck. There's too many people inside the main room. Matt can't risk him making a sound. He grabs him in a chokehold instead and avoids a headbutt against his fractured skull by sheer dumb luck squeezing the man's neck tighter until he goes pliant and slumps on the ground. Another gunshot rings. Someone screams in pain and falls to the ground. Matt rips the man's bandana and folds it, doesn't question himself for a second as he covers his eyes with it. The cloth stinks of cigarettes, and muscle memory kicks in as he carefully ties it around his head, loose enough not to press against the brake. Jesus Christ! Frank sees him before anyone else does. 
By then, Matt's already slashing the tendons from a guy's shin and dislocating two knees from another one. The movement makes his brain feel liquid inside his skull. He thinks he almost faints, vomit rising up to his tongue before he swallows it back down. He keeps moving. Frank's already bleeding. In between curling down to escape a gunshot, Matt keeps track of the man's injuries. Broken nose, bruising cheekbone, bleeding lip, knife wound in upper arm and right knee. Matt has to take him out of there. A man lunges with the broken bottle, and Frank just barely manages to escape it. Matt's senses can't follow it all. He dodges a kick and gets hit by another before he slashes at someone's shin, once, twice, until they go down. He kicks them in the face, hears something break, zygomatic bone and a tooth, and the man falls unconscious. By then, Frank's got the broken bottle stuck to the man's face as the other screams and goes down. He gets lost in the noise, doesn't know how. Maybe because he's too worried about keeping people away from Frank, he doesn't pay enough attention to his immediate surroundings. He's hazy, but fights purely on instinct. Takes an arm and breaks it, kicks the back of their knees and dislocates the other arm, elbows them in the face. The person goes down. Two people come at him at once, and Matt barely manages to dodge the first before the second one's brains are all over his face, Frank having shot her with a borrowed shotgun. There are sirens coming near. They're outnumbered. Frank's hurt. He tries to kick the first guy, the one smelling of cocaine and cheap beer. But he's twice his size, and Matt's losing the battle to his pounding migraine. The nausea and uncoordinated muscles, and Stick's voice, Weak! Get up! Get up and fight! Red! He's kicked in the back as he attempts crawling away, and a rib protests. His arms stop responding. Matt immediately curls around his head. Someone kneels on his chest, and he gasps in agony. Something breaks. Matt screams, Hey, get off of him! You asshole! I'm right here! Come and get me! Whiz, it's the guy! Take the jeep round the back! Cocaine and cheap beer make some kind of gesture. The words muffled in his own overground beard, but the pain chomps at his ribs, and Matt's lungs won't work properly. He can hear the rib creak and shift. Stray tears run down his face as he gasps again. It hurts, and he should use the pain to ground him, bring him back to the fight, but his head is so, so heavy. Hey, if you touch him, you're dead! Frank roars, feels too far, echoes distantly. He slashes a man's throat and punches another before he's held back by two, three other people, and Matt has to fight. Get to work, Dad tells him. Get to work. And he tries. Muscles jump and spasm as he tries getting up as soon as the pressure on his chest alleviates, only to have a large booted foot stepping down on his neck. He wheezes, choking in coughs that can't come out, fumbling to hold on to the foot pressing him down, trying to push it away as he squirms, makes moving his ribs burn and shift, but he can't breathe. He can't, can't breathe, can't move, can't fight, can't help, Frank can't. Hey, 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 let him go, let him go. I'm gonna watch you die, you hear me? I'm gonna watch you die, you pieces of shit. The pressure under his eyes increases. His lungs deflate and burn until there's nothing else. His fingers stop responding. His arms do too. There are bright spots of pain all over him. Vaguely, he thinks he's never heard Frank sound so desperate. He comes too when he's being dragged away. Frank's still being held back as he fights. Every time he puts someone down, there's another. Someone pulls the black cloth from his eyes. Who does this guy think he is, daredevil? Nah, daredevil. Red! Frank's voice is far. Matt feels the damp atmosphere of the room from which he got inside the bar. 
Frank's voice shatters as he fights against the people holding him back. And then there's gunshots. Several. He hears five bodies fall. Someone screams. More shooting. Frank drops low. God damn it, Red! But Matt is already in the alleyway by the bar, his back dragging against grimy concrete until red bright pain shoots through his shoulder blades and back, and he thinks he screams. One of the two men dragging him laughs. Broken glass from the bottles discarded by the dumpster now stuck deep into his skin. Matt feels the world shift and go dim, flickering in and out of focus. The devil is just at the edge. Weak, he says, a voice that sounds like Matt. At the same time, it reminds him of Stick. Get up and fight! The world tilts. He's dropped against metal. The impact jostles the broken rib and the big pieces of glass, and he chokes out a moan. The devil smiles, hovers over him as the door closes. Will you let them get away with it? He asks. Face comes so close to his. It might as well be his own. You're soft. Get up. Fight! Time passes as the world moves. He's too heavy, still wheezing to breathe. Throat swelling and hot from the abuse. The shards puncturing his skin shift with every breath, and so does his broken rib. His head pounds. His lungs burn. Get up and fight! It feels like he's far out of his own body when he finally does. Adrenaline burns like fuel through the pain. He jumps at the driver and grabs him from behind in a chokehold. The car swings to the left before the man, whiz, gets it on the road. Cocaine punches him on the mouth before Matt manages to kick him in the face. His ribs scream at the movement. Matt's not strong enough to knock him out as efficiently as he usually would, which is why Wiz manages to choke. Shoot him! We need him alive to get the money! They'll kill him, Eddie! He strengthens the hold. Wiz chokes. The car swings left and right. Cocaine aims a kick at him right in his broken ribs and keeps kicking. Matt growls. Bone cracks. Cocaine keeps kicking. Another crack, but Matt's at home in the pain. He smiles sharply through bloody teeth. The driver finally goes out. Cocaine jumps to get a hold of the steering wheel, and Matt lets the devil out. He digs his fingers into Cocaine's beard and hair and drags him away from the wheel, leans back to kick him hard enough in the face to send his head through the window. He's knocked out cold. Wiz wakes up with a wheezing inhale, flails just enough for Matt to be unable to get a hold of him before he clenches his hands on the wheel. An elbow is launched at his face, and he feels blood trickle down his nose. Pressure builds in his lungs, from not enough air passing through his swollen trachea. Despite Wiz's best efforts, the jeep derails. Matt's ribs are shoved right against the passenger seat, jostling the brake. He screams. Wiz nails dig into his forearms. The car's side hits the safety highway fence before spinning left and crashing into a lamppost. Matt's body lurches forward towards the windshield. He loses consciousness. He should have fucking known Red wouldn't stay put. Murdoch would rather put his neck on a ringer to hearing someone get hurt and do nothing. That's exactly the bullshit that put them here in the first place. But they took Red. They're going to fucking die. Frank digs his hands around the knife, trying to gut him, and pulls the shaggy man back with a roar. Takes the handle and stabs it through his eye. Finds his gun forgotten on the floor and shoots the next two coming at him. Through the window, he can see the jeep taking off. A trail of blood left on the back door. Turns back to the room. There's still six assholes in the room with him. He shoves the gun with the empty clip back into his pants. Pulls the knife out of Shaggy's corpse. Come on! He growls. Come on! The only asshole with any remaining ammo tries to shoot him. But Kid can't aim for shit. He's by far the youngest among the others. He disarms him quickly. 
breaks his wrist before he takes the gun to himself and shoots two heads in his stomach before running out of bullets. Shoves the gun away. Come on! He roars. Frank barely feels it as he mows through them, punching and stabbing and breaking necks and arms. Gets a knife stuck to his hip, but he barely feels it. He has one mission. Put all of them down. He leaves the kid for last, shaking and cradling a broken wrist, looking younger than he probably was. Frank limps his way, huffing like a bull as he applies pressure to the skin around the knife in his hip, pulling it out with a shout. Who came to you? What? Frank puts the crimson-covered knife against his neck. Gonna give you one more chance, kid. You either take it or you don't. Your choice. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what you're... Oh, God! He steps on his ankle, makes sure to press down on it until the kid screams and goes down. The guy babbles and screams through tears. Okay, okay, okay! Fisk, he hired some of you to kill the lawyer. Who came to you? This weird British dude, man. I don't know his name. I don't... I swear! I don't know, please! You have something, man? Better sell it. Red's running out of time, and Frank's running out of patience. This only ends one way, but the kid doesn't have to know that yet. He... he'll kill me, man! I won't be that generous. The desperation sets in quick. Look, I'm not lying. I swear, this guy came to us, told Marty to find the lawyer, said he'd pay us good, that Fisk would owe us a favor, that we get protection from the feds! Frank's fingers loosen around the knife before he clenches the handle tightly. And then the agent dude came and asked Marty about... Agent? Yeah, man, a fed! Frank leans back slightly, looking down at the man, searching for any lie in his face. Blonde dude with a psycho smile, wanted to know how the lawyer got away, who was with him. That's all I know, man, I swear! Frank nods, looks down at the man. Couldn't be in his thirties yet. Redwood. Shit. Frank turns away, marching out of the bloodied bar into his car. There are sirens approaching and no goddamn sign of red. He calls Micro when he loses the tracks three blocks away from the bar. He goes back to the safe house and he waits, trigger finger tapping against his upper thigh, muscles jumping, jaw working. He waits until he's about ready to jump out of his skin. Two hours later, it pays off. As soon as David's text message pops on the screen, Frank's down the stairs and slamming the car door closed. The address is close to the high bridge, a few blocks from it. They were either taking him to the Bronx or out of the city altogether. Lieberman warns him beforehand, so he's not surprised by the crash scene. He is, however, taken aback by the abandoned cop car by a tall tree. He doesn't find the big bearded guy or the shaggy-haired one that took red as he approaches the van. No body, although he does find brains and blood splattered all over the windshield. Someone got shot in the head. His heartbeat doubles. His body snaps alive. This is not happening, goddammit! No way! Goddamn you, Red! He caused Lieberman with his heart perched under his Adam's apple, pounding unsteadily. David, I need you to... Frank, you gotta get out of there! He frowns, mostly by the urgency he detects. What's going on? The masked guy you're looking for? He just left the crash site 15 minutes ago. He thinks his pressure drops too suddenly, black spots threatening to show up at the corner of his eyes. Pinches the bridge of his nose to get back in the game. Now there's units being dispatched to your location because the cops who got there... Shit, shit, shit! Spit it out, Lieberman. The car! Look at the car! What? But he doesn't need to ask more. Frank saw and did things that haunted him sometimes at night. Not as much as his family's death, but ghosts all the same. Occasionally he was still surprised. 
Two cops got there, all right. He finds them both in their respective seats, eyes carved out of their skulls and placed on their laps like some sick joke. Frank cusses under his breath at the state of them. Stomach shot through, the most painful way to die in his opinion. Hands tied behind their backs so they can do nothing about it. You see who did this? He rasps against the speaker, taking a step further to find their wallets. They were still warm. No, the cameras went down for twenty minutes, right after your mass friend ran away. Frank sighs, feeling for a pulse he knows he won't find. They've been dead for a while. I'll call you later. Just soon, Frank. He huffs a breath through his nose. Yeah. One thing he knows. They were placed here. They didn't die in the car. There wasn't enough blood for that. Displayed. For either Red to find or him. Which either way meant Fisk knew. Frank opens the wallets, turning them around to pull both driver's licenses out. He reads the first one. His jaw clenches. He looks around again, checks for anyone hanging out, before opening the second one. He closes it with a snap. Fuck. Fisk knows. He had suspected the bald asshole did, but this is enough confirmation. Fisk wants him, or most likely Red, to know he does. Wants to mess with his head, get him to do something stupid. He looks at the licenses again. Cusses under his breath. Matthew Ramirez, the first one says. Richard Murdoch, says the second. He rubs his palm down his face with a curse, throwing both wallets back, but keeping the driver's licenses in his hands. Left with two dead bodies displayed like some next-level psychopathic bullshit he didn't think Fisk was capable of. A message he has no idea how to take, and no sign of red. For the hundredth time that day, he calls the burner phone he gave Murdoch. There's still blood on his knees where he did a hack job of stitching the knife slash closed. He picks up the blood-stained denim. For the first time, the line connects. Red? Frank? Crushing weight suddenly lifts from his shoulders. He closes his eyes, pressing the phone tight to his ear. Frank, don't know where I am. That's fine. He swallows thickly at the small, blank voice echoing close to his ear. He's either disassociating or he lost too much blood. It's all right, Red. Why don't you try describing the place to me, yeah? Popcorn, peanuts, cotton candy. Not very helpful, but Frank will take it. There's a... there's a carousel. I think... I'm... 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 sitting by... I don't know where I am. Frank inhales brokenly, bloody fingernails reaching to scratch at the back of his scalp. Wonders how Red's messed up brains took him there of all places. I'm coming to find you, yeah? Just stay where you are. Okay. Red. He sounds too weak. That's no good. Sunshine, are you hurt too bad? No answer. Frank starts moving, closes the car door one-handed as he presses the phone to his shoulder, turning the engine on. Red, I need you to tell me. Are you hurt? There's... glass. Glass in my back. Broken rib. My wrist hurts. My throat hurts. Saw it. All right, I'm coming. We'll take care of ya. Just stay there, Red. Frank disconnects the call and chances a glance at the two bodies displayed inside the cop car. The city was about to burn, and it didn't even know. A text message from David arrives when he's on his way to Central Park, with some pictures of Red on surveillance cameras heading to the carousel, and a link to a video on Twitter. Punisher sighted at Bar Massacre. He turns off the phone and focuses on driving. Noise. 
There is a buzz in my right ear that never goes away, no matter how hard I hit the side of my head, for loose change. Most mornings I wonder who I can pray to that will make sure I never have to survive waking again. Lisa's voice is a hammer working through his skull, trying to break out from the moment he turns off the car. He's staring at the grass then, eyes fixed to it, to the fences, remembering her little feet running around there for the first time. She hated shoes at that age, learned to take them off months before she learned to speak, Dada! She was two? No. Frank missed her second birthday, went to Iraq with her, still sleeping most of the day, and came back to her, crawling all around the house and taking her first steps. Broke down in the shower after she started crying. Didn't recognize him. No, she was three. Maria was having a hard time at the office, and Frank took on most of the chores when she was home. Started taking Lisa to the park almost every day. He showed her the bugs. She was terrified of butterflies and ants and grasshoppers, but for some reason she was fascinated with ladybugs. Frank never knew what exactly she found so amazing about them. But her little body would light up, and she'd squeal and clap excitedly at every single one she found. Sitting there on his car, he could feel the ghost of her weight over his shoulders. The feeling of holding on to her little legs, running around the grass and hunting for bugs. She loved rubbing her soft little palms over his shaved head. Fussy head, Dada, she'd say, the sound of the Z coming off more like an SH. Fussy head, Dada. He had a twinge on his shoulder back then from dislocating it overseas, but he'd hold her forever on his back, even if the pain killed him. He leaves the car with a lump tight in his throat, walks past the entry gate where he could still hear Lisa and Frankie's laughter sometimes, and heads to the carousel with the weight of Frank Castle's corpse on his shoulders instead of the ghost of Lisa's. Father, husband, marine. He doesn't look at the grass. There are no ladybugs in the trees. Red is on the same wooden bench Frank had sat on a couple of years back, knowing the Irish were coming for him. Dad! Dad, look! Your family. Frank closes his eyes at Red's weak voice, his neck mottled with bruises and slightly swollen. Frank finally turns his whole attention to him. It was here. Frank suddenly wants them both to leave this place, stop staining their memories with the now. But he can't fight the tide. God knows he can't fight Red by this point. Yeah. He looks down at his own hands. Can't pick the blood away from his fingernails. It's stuck to him now. It was. After a minute that takes too long, he stands up, restless. His back turned to the carousel and his front to Red. He crouches on the floor, daring to put a hand around Red's right knee. There's a huge, nasty bruise forming all over and around his neck, and Frank wants to kill them all over again. Gotta get you out of the street, Red. Fisk's men are probably looking all over for him, and half the city's scumbags, too. They had to disappear for a while. Lay low. Frank finds Red's cold hands with his, stained with blood just as his own are. His eyes reflect the carousel lights, the few that are still on, almost like he's watching it, almost like he can hear what Frank can, too. The song. His kid's laughter. The screams. The gunfire. There's... Matt swallows thickly through a lump in his throat, and Frank sighs at the tears he can see reflecting light. There's this noise in my head. Sometimes I think I know what it is, but... He chokes down a sob, his whole chest moving and straining with the effort, and Frank instinctively brings him closer, tightens his hold around his hands. It won't stop, and I don't know why. 
Frank gathers him by the nape and brings their foreheads together, hissing softly at the pain when their noses bump. Just listen to me right now, Red, yeah? You can do that. Just me now. Holds him up like he did so many of his men when they got lost in the gunfire. Like he held Maria and his kids once. Doesn't know how to give half of the things he knew how before. Comfort. The easy affection and trust. Can't find it when he thinks about it and doesn't try. Not usually. You listening? Yeah. What can you hear? In a whisper now, right by his ear, brings him to bury his face in his shoulder. Your heart, Matt mumbles. Your lungs, your breathings, your bones. He shuffles forward, shaking with the effort it takes. Your heart, he repeats, a hand fisting the back of his jacket tightly. Yeah, he rasps out, looks at the sky so he doesn't have to stare at the grass and the trees, holds Red's face cradled against his shoulder for a little while more, just a little more. We gotta go, Red. Come on. Frank can't always distinguish the emotional flashbacks from the mood swings, even if they happen a lot. This time, it catches Frank unaware. He doesn't know what sets it off, if it's sheer exhaustion or if it's something he hears that Frank can't. He's bandaging Red's ribs in silence, carefully as to not upset his injured back, when suddenly the redhead is full out weeping. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. Shit, Red, not this again. A strangled sound leaves him, like he's being torn apart, and Frank's head is a wasp's nest, a beehive buzzing and slamming around inside his skull as he finishes taping his broken ribs. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry! He catches Matt by the forearms and holds him together as much as he can as he watches him fall apart. By then, Red's speech is barely coherent and Frank has no idea how to snap him out of it. Fat, heavy teardrops washing his blood-stained cheeks. Sorry, I'm sorry! Stop that. You're okay. He cradles him as much as he can. There was little of Red that wasn't either injured or bruised, including that neck of his that got his voice so weak and thin. I got you, Red. You're all right. Calm down now. He does stop minutes later, when his body is drained and he's not all there. Frank guides the redhead to his cot, and he falls into a deep slumber stares at the stretch of pink, shiny scar tissue on his head for hours. His cup of coffee grows cold in his grasp. Frank wakes up to a repetitive sound during the night and immediately reaches out for a light, checking on the cot for Red, hands fumbling to find him and tether him to the now. He had been more tired than he had realized, probably blood loss. The pains and aches finally find him now that the adrenaline's passed. He doesn't find Matt, only cold sheets. Red? He stands up, hissing at the pain from the slash in his thighs. It hadn't been deep enough for stitches, but it burned like hell. He grunts through it, hands reaching for the gun he kept under his pillow on the makeshift bed on the floor. The sounds keep coming. Thump, 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 thump. A mockery of a heartbeat. Hey, Red? Frank follows the noise to the kitchen. At first there, he thinks it's the window, but it's closed and there's no sign of a forced entry. He turns on the lights in the room when he can't find anything else. Gun close to his chest. Jesus Christ, kid. He immediately drops to his knees, cradling a hand around the base of Red's skull where he had been hitting it against the wall, right under the window. He's clearly disassociating hard, and that was news. Hadn't happened before, not like this. Something wet. 
His fingers come back bloodied, and Frank's stomach revolts at the idea of checking the fracture. It hadn't been turned to the wall, but how could he fucking know? The paint was stained with crimson now. Matt might as well have given himself a new one. What the hell is happening to you, Red? The hell is happening to you? He cradles his head closer to him. Eerily vacant eyes lost somewhere in Frank's chest when he goes looking for the source of the blood. Finds the small laceration with his fingertips. Tilts Red's head this way and that in the light, trying to find evidence of a break, but he can't see bone, just matted hair and skin. Frank holds Matt closer to his chest and traps his body with his legs, digging for his forgotten phone on the kitchen counter. Should have known the kid would crash after all the shit that happened. Should have kept watching him. Should have... Hello? Kurt, it's me. I need your help. I'm sending you an address and you gotta come now. Whoa, Frank, calm down, will you? It's three in the morning. He takes a deep breath, looking down at Red's vacant eyes, utterly still in the cage of limbs Frank made to keep him from hurting himself. What happened? It's Red. He hurt his head again. You mean the blind guy? Kurt, just, I don't know if he did any damage to the fracture. I gotta make sure that Chid is holding. If that scumbag surgeon did a hack job of it. All right, I'm coming. But Frank, you gotta take it slow, brother. You can't do your job if you're like this. Yeah, no shit. Frank blinks hard before going over what he remembered from first aid training. What he learned on his own. What the doc said. What Kurt said. How did he hurt his head? He's, uh, he's out of it. Disassociating, I think. Found him hitting his head against the wall. Earlier he had one of those flashbacks. The emotional ones you talked about. Hadn't happened in a while. Don't know why the fuck. Frank takes a deep breath, chest expanding before shrinking down with a sharp huff. Red is still eerily quiet in his lap. Frank maneuvers both of them to sit against a cabinet, moving Red's head to check on the break. The skin is healed. Doesn't look like he hit it, but there's a small laceration in the back. Can you see bone? Nah, it ain't deep. It's bleeding a bit and I can feel a bump already. Check his pupils. See if they're even. Check for any bleeding in the cornea or ears, any signs of spasming limbs or eyes moving too fast. If that happens, Frank, if he stops responding, he exhales the whole tension out of his shoulders, dread climbing up his throat. I'll take him to the hospital, yeah. He's careful when moving Red to check on his pupils with the flashlight. Neither reacts to light, but they're even. No bleeding that he can spot beyond the one in his head and a torn stitch on his back. When he's done, he's sure to get Red in a better resting position. His eyes move slightly before he stops. Fingers twitch and go still. Neat to go. What is it, Red? Make it stop. Frank heaves out a shaky sigh, brings Red's ear to press it against his chest, right over his pulse. Why don't you focus on something else for me? Heart. That's right. He swallows, cards his fingers through silky auburn hair, stops when he gets to the wet strands. Just my heart now, Matt. Kurt takes a little over 20 minutes to get there. He looks tired, but carries a big takeout coffee in his right hand and all his disapproval on his face. His first aid bag hanging from his good shoulder. Frank takes him to Red, sitting on the cot, looking drowsy and still a bit out of it. Kurt proves himself better at bringing Matt back to Earth. Hey, Matt, it's Kurt, Frank's friend. How are you feeling? A careful finger nudges his knee before Kurt sits by his side. Head hurts. Are your ears ringing? Not anymore. Okay, I'll give you my fingers. I want you to squeeze them as tight as you can. 
Red starts with the left one, and Kurt hisses. All right, all right. You can let go. Now with the other. Seems surprised, too, at the strength, but Frank supposes Red doesn't look the part, not with his doe eyes and puppy looks. Red squeezes with his right hand. Kurt gives him a look before nodding slightly. Better, but not all the way there. All right, Matt. How do you feel besides the pain in your head? Weird. Weird how? Floaty. All right. Kurt is gently plodding at the laceration on the back of Red's head by then. Can you feel my hand on your head? Hurts. Gotta follow. Kurt stops minutely to look at him for an explanation, but Frank only shrugs, eyes intent on the redhead. I see. What do you need to follow? The hurt. He blinks slowly, tongue lethargic and slurring. Pull the thread. Give back. Frank is still at a loss, but Kurt seems to understand. Away from the floaty space? Red hums in response. You know, we sometimes disassociate when our mind and or body are under too much stress. He gives Frank a pointed look. When you need a safe space. The ex-corman's hands leave Matt's pliant head, and he nods. No damage done. They hurt him. The Marine's heartbeat jumps, eyes locking to Matt's hazel ones. They were hurting Frank. I see. Kurt sighs, stands up. Let's get you something to drink while I stitch up that wound. He turns around, but Frank is already headed to the kitchen. Murdoch twitches towards the garbage bag taped to the window minutes before the sound of the sirens and blue lights reach them. For a moment, no one moves. Do you remember why you went to the kitchen, Matt? Kurt breaks the silence, threading a needle, sits on the cot by Red, and dabs a cotton ball carefully on the injury. Noise. You followed a noise? But that's as far as they get. Murdoch stops answering, retreats into himself. He thankfully drinks half the Gatorade bottle before falling asleep heavily. Kid barely moves. Frank drops down on the nearest chair with a lumbering sigh. It feels like they're back to the beginning all over again. He good? Just broke the skin, bled a bit. There will probably be a small bump there for a while, but he'll live. Yeah, Frank's not so sure. Not if Red keeps doing stupid shit. Kurt's eyebrows go up as he downs some of the leftover Gatorade himself. At this point, I'm not surprised. That considering gaze falls over him instead, and Frank prepares himself for what he knows is coming. You don't look so well yourself, Frank. He shrugs. No rest for the wicked, Kurt. It is what it is. Kurt doesn't think so. You bought his fight. It was my fight, too. Oh, come on, that's bullshit, Frank. They both turn to see Red tense in his sleep in response. I don't know what the deal is between you two, but look at the state of you. Kurt gestures at the cot. Look at him! Got nowhere to be, Kurt. He shrugs, eyes stuck watching Matt, curled tight underneath the sheets. The fleece ones Frank had taken from his place. And neither does he. Kurt sighs in defeat and settles back against the chair. Matt wakes up with an extra weight on his shoulders, dragging him down to the ground. An exhaustion he can't shake, and an ache that licks at the back of his scalp, and flared like flames at the right side of his head. The stitches in his back pull when he moves. Something cold slides from his neck. Ice packs? His elbows shake. He pushes through, until the trembling climbs up to his shoulders. His fingers clench at the sheets. A loud creaking and a rush of pain alerts him to the state of his ribs. One broken, two cracked, 
and his following gasp makes tears come to his eyes with the burning in his swollen trachea. Vertigo creeps up so suddenly Matt feels like throwing up. He almost falls before holding himself up, body heavy and cold, and he shivers as soon as the fleece slides down to his lap. The scent of oatmeal assaults his nose, and Matt has deja vu from the first few days in Frank's shack. The overwhelming clash of foreboding at not knowing, and the unsettling peace of having nothing to worry about, no one to call, no one to... Vaguely, he thinks of a dream. It feels like one, but maybe it isn't. He hears crying. A bad man whispers for a little girl to be quiet. He throws rocks at a window. The bad man goes away. He calls someone for help. The mom makes them go away. Nausea returns at full force. It's not a dream, is it? He remembers following a man onto train tracks. Movement gets him shaking. Matt groans at the pain, reaches to the back of his scalp to find two butterfly stitches holding the skin together and a small, painful bump. Don't touch it. Frank's voice startles him. The rhythmical thumping of his heartbeat colors his body in bright flames, along with his immediate surroundings. Around him, the taste of soap. He took a long shower. He brushed his teeth. He drank a lot of coffee. The stream coming off the oatmeal caresses his cheek before being dragged by the air current, slipping through the cracks of the garbage bag in the broken window. Take these. He recognizes the smell of anti-inflammatory pills, takes them and swallows with the offered glass of water. Frank? Traces of blood under his fingernails, recent despite his obsessive cleaning. Something was wrong. What happened? Funny you should ask, Red. He starts, not cruelly, but Matt still feels like static wrapped inside a flesh suit, and the words feel piercing. Someone in the deli across the street sneezes. A car honks. A woman speaks in Arabic. A dog whines. I was wondering the same thing. Matt then drags himself away from laughing, shopping cart, beeping machines, tires across asphalt, meowing, the outside to get a read on Frank. He's tense. Muscles usually relax immediately after a warm shower, but Frank's body is rippling with nervous energy under the muted blank projection. Were you trying to leave? Leave? Something clicks. He reaches to the new injury again, the area swollen tight with heat, remembers then, the noise, the devil, the... the noise outside. Oh. Flames lose their precision and color around Frank, swelling tight around his heartbeat, but not spreading any further. What happened, Red? I... there was a noise. He swallows. Outside. Tries to remember anything specific. Nothing. I had to do something. Do what? That's the thing. He can't remember. Can't reach it even when he knows it should be right there. He just needed to do something. I don't know. Matt closes his eyes, squeezes them hard. Speaking hurts. Tries to relate the memory to anything that makes sense in his head with what he knows, but can't. I remember I heard something. I needed to... I needed to do something. I don't know. He doesn't. He's in orbit with his own memories, unable to touch it floating where everything is cold and burns brighter than the sun. Yeah, you said that. Frank stands up and his body is warmer, feels more alive to the world on fire, more human. He crouches in front of Matt, reaches for the first aid kit on the floor. Turn around. Frank's hands are unfairly gentle and warm in their efficiency when he takes off his shirt. 
taking the bandages around his ribs off to clean the cuts in Matt's back from the broken bottles. You missed a shard. Shit, where? Matt shows him, grimacing at the pain radiating from his whole torso. Bruises, cuts, and broken bones. His body seemed used to the abuse, and Matt is too exhausted just then to keep asking himself the same question of how and why. Did he fight the war? Did Stick come back? Did they fight together with the girl? The one with the thick accent that caressed his ears? They're comfortable in the silence. Frank cleaning the nicks and cuts, replacing butterfly closures and checking stitches. Where did you go, Matt? It's not her voice, but he can't pinpoint why. Sometimes, it's like he can remember what it felt to touch her, whoever she was. Sometimes, she feels like something he made up in his head. I know you, she said, and you know me. Hey, you with me? Matt swallows convulsively around a breath, lost. Yes. Frank sighs. You're dead on your feet. Get some more sleep, Red. Rest, Matthew. Barely recalls Frank guiding him to his pillow, warm, rough hands cradling his neck carefully, a fleece blanket being thrown over his shoulders, a warm breath close to his lips. This is not the end, she promises. Her blood spills in his hands. Red moves, but he doesn't rise. Eyes move back and forth under his eyelids, trapped in a movie Frank isn't privy to. His fingers hover over his neck, the skin mottled in black, purple, and sickly green. Frank sits down on the cot with a huff, rubs a palm roughly over his face. Got fists killing innocent people and leaving a trail of bodies to get either Frank's or the devil's attention or both. Got the fake devil running around, feds in Fisk's pocket, Dead mercenaries and the media knowing about the Punisher's return. It's a goddamn shit show. Red whines softly. The sheets tangle around his arm. Frank sighs, put upon, reaches carefully to untangle his arm from the fabric to tuck it back in around his waist. Matt breathes a bit more deeply. The fight's over. Doesn't take him long to find another. Now the sheets are brushing at the skin of his torso, and he doesn't like that. No, sir. Frank curses under his breath and pulls the blanket away. Always with you fucking fighting. You can't stop, can you, Red? No wonder, he thinks, staring at the places where cotton and gauze were chafing his skin. No fucking wonder. He takes the sheets away and covers him with one of Frank's worn hoodies instead. Matt struggles. Frank presses down. Keeps struggling because that's just what he does. And Frank stays there presses his palms on his head and arm, careful not to put too much strength behind it, holds him there, draws a line between him and the outside, and then Red fights some goddamn more until he finally settles. Frank doesn't back off until his breathing is even and deep. Fucked up thing, that, that Red settles under his touch, his palms, his blood-stained fingers. Matt buries his nose into the borrowed hoodie and sleeps. Kurt's phone call comes when the sun is about to set. Red hasn't moved under the improvised covers, except for the sniffs he gives when he burrows closer to the fabric. Frank can't bear to look at him, can't help but stare. When he finally remembered, when he figured it out, Frank didn't want to be there. He really fucking didn't. Take me home! His voice comes back. It always does these days. Please take me home! Frank squeezes his eyes tight against the stinging heat in them, rubs harshly at his scalp, 
the scar on the back. Shouldn't be like this. Shit should have never gotten to this point. His phone rings, and Frank accepts the call as soon as he reads the name on the caller ID. Yeah? I was just approached by a man, British-sounding fellow. Frank immediately stands up, presses the phone to his ear with a shoulder so he has his hands free to collect his handgun from the coffee table. Check the mag. Offered me money to pass a message on to an old friend of mine. He's still there? No, but he knew my address. Told me not to call anyone else but you, or else. Said he'd be watching. Spotted any tails? Shoves his gun in his pants. Grabs a knife. Ammo. Kurt's sigh breaks like static. No, but it's New York. A shit ton of potential sniper nests around. You armed? Who do you take me for, Frank? He takes the phone in hand again, frowns at the opposite wall. About that message you got for me. Said you two had a mutual acquaintance, and that Mr. Fisk was willing to exchange my safety for your friend. Kurt makes a sound Frank can't decipher. He wants the kid. I got that! He growls through his teeth, voice boiling over like melting the inside of his mouth. You wait for me at your place. No, Frank, don't you dare! He disconnects the call. Trigger finger twitches and taps against his upper thigh. Muscles utterly still as he brims with energy inside, skin thick where it holds the corrosion hostage. His eyes stray on their own to Matt's peaceful frame. The stitches on the back of his head glint softly under the orange light, nose still buried in Frank's hoodie, curled as small as he could to fit underneath it. He looks away, checks his supplies again, shoots David a text to watch Red's location, to which the man answers promptly, Protective much? You two are cute. When am I going to meet the boyfriend? Frank's lack of answer must be compelling enough. Right, I'm on it. He snaps the burner shut and shoves it in his jacket pocket. We'll probably have to destroy the chip on his main phone now. He'll give them exactly what they want for now, to be lured into the trap. Frank crouches by Red's side, muscles twitching at the ugly sight of the bruising around his neck. Some were dark purple, almost black. Red's breathing still wheezed sometimes. He reaches out, carefully brushes a few hairs away from his eyes. Red, wake up. Learned early that you don't need much to wake up Murdoch with those nifty senses of his. The scent of incoming rain or a subtle shift in breathing got him rising. Red wakes up, but doesn't startle as usual. Just sighs softly, blinking his eyes open, snuggling under the hoodie. Frank's knuckles carefully brush one of his cheeks before retreating. Morning, sunshine. He has no time, so he commits the picture to memory. The soft feel of his skin. The warmth. Frank? I have to check in with Kurt. Strains his fingers against his jacket, index tapping his knee so he doesn't reach out again. Stupid. Need you to keep an ear out for trouble. Can you do that? Kurt okay? He asks, genuinely concerned. But Frank supposes that's read in a nutshell. Caring. Cares too damn much for his own good. Has a tough time not being overwhelmed by it sometimes. By the easiness of his consideration. Yeah, I'll make sure of it. I know you're tired, but you gotta keep alert. I won't be here to protect you. Don't need protecting. Frank bites back a chuckle, something fond in his chest stirring at the slurring words and slow blinks. Course not. He huffs as he stands up again. Looks away when Red brings the hoodie closer to his neck, curling tighter into a ball. A grown man shouldn't be able to fit into such a small space. But Red's no good at recognizing limits. Don't fall back asleep. 
Mm. Red. He waits for those eyes to search for him uselessly. Stay here. You hear me? If something happens, you run. Call me when you're safe. He nods, and Frank figures that's as good as he'll get. Frank? Yeah? Red's following question is almost a murmur, but he hears it. His heartbeat skips. His stomach drops. He's okay, Red. I promise. Yeah? He knows Red won't remember that last part of their exchange with the same certainty he knew he didn't remember the night terrors and flashbacks he woke up to. At the door, Frank's skin crawls and his muscles lock. He almost goes back inside. But he can't lose sight of the game now. Kurt is priority. He's got to get him safe and out of town for a while. Frank treads along the sidewalk, crossing to the other side of East 112th Street, and looking up at the window, hoping to catch either sunlit hazel eyes or auburn hair staring back from one of the windows. He turns away when he's faced with the black garbage bag. The three guys pacing around Kurt's building are either doing their damn best to be noticed or their first-timers. Even then, Frank takes his time to watch for anyone else hiding, waiting. Checks every goddamn window and rooftop he can find for snipers. But Curtis's apartment complex is right in the middle of other skyscrapers and multi-story buildings. The search is fruitless, and he knows it, so he keeps to places that give him the best cover. The old man with the buzzed blonde hair doing rounds around the block is the first to go. Frank won't risk guns. Not now. So he catches him from behind, grabs his neck in a chokehold, and kicks the back of his knees. Buzzed is lean, easy to drag quickly to the alleyway. Night is setting and darkness provides the best cover right then. Buzzed struggles. Frank tightens his hold, throws the gun away when the blonde tries to reach for it in his coat pocket. In a second, his knife stabs through Buzzed's neck. Feels it go through muscle, tears carotids, and scratches bone. Blood spills profusely over his right forearm and hand. His hands are stained, and that's how they're supposed to be. Not caressing Red's hair back. Not holding him tenderly or comforting him. That's not Frank anymore. Not ever again. One batch, two batch. The second one is a woman, as tall as Frank and maybe just as strong. She never sees him coming. Frank snaps her neck clean and quick and takes her piece with him. Penny and dime. The third one is a bearded guy, big enough to make a man second-guess himself, but Frank doesn't hesitate for a second. This is his home turf, his trap. No one gets out alive. This one sees him coming. He aims and fires, and Frank returns an equal before tucking into a roll for cover, pushing a screaming old couple out of the way and telling them to get the hell away. A bullet lands on the wall right by his head. His left ear rings. The next gunshot has people screaming, Gassel! The thick-accented voice bellows. Frank listens carefully to it, to footsteps as he watches the man's growing shadow, fingers itching to squeeze the trigger, body itching to pounce. Come out or your friend! He shoots two knees in quick succession. French guy goes down with a scream, and it only serves to prove what he knew. These are amateurs, no trained mercenaries like the ones back at Red's place or on FDR Drive. He's here! Castle's here! He stomps towards the French and kicks his jaw until it breaks before smashing the radio on the floor. He ignores the screams and groans and angry expletives as he turns towards the entrance to Curtis's building, climbing up the stairs with his gun aimed up. The front door is open. Either Kurt left it or... Don't move! This one is younger, 28 at best, and it still feels like a stretch. Frank immediately freezes, and it's just a second. A second before he takes in the barrel shoved at Kurt's temple. He slowly raises both arms, gun pointed at the ceiling. 
The kid is shaking. Big brown eyes go from the gun to his blood-covered arm and the splatters over his face. Drop the gun or I kill him! His stance is too open. Frank doubts he'd hit Kurt if he tried with how much he's shaking. You all right, Kurt? He asks, voice low. Doesn't take his eyes away from the punk-ass fool. The ex-corpsman nods. Regular Monday, Frank. Don't talk to- Frank takes a stance and shoots in under a second, making use of his distraction. The bullet hits home, shreds the kid's right wrist muscle and torn ligament, and ruptured messy arteries gush blood onto the floor. His gun falls from a limp hand. The boy's screams is muffled by Kurt's hand, who sprints into action, covering his mouth. You good? Kurt keeps holding on to the struggling kid, but he's quickly going limp from blood loss. The ex-corpsman tears at his own shirt, quickly enveloping the injury. I'll live, he said pointedly, staring at the blood all over Frank. Step aside, Kurt. His trigger finger jumps against the gun. Kurt recognizes the tick. Their eyes lock. You're not turning my house into an interrogation room, Frank. I'll be quick. For God's sake, Frank! The abandoned walkie crackles to life. They both stop moving. Mr. Castle. Static. Frank's back locks in tension, glancing towards Kurt one last time before going to the windows, checking again for possible snipers. I believed our paths would cross again. His eyes stray back to Kurt. There's too many goddamn windows. Too many rooftops. Like years ago, they don't need to talk out loud to understand each other's thinking. Kurt nods. Frank huffs and walks to the kid, snatching the radio from his jacket. He presses down the push-to-talk button. Fisk? He strolls back to the window, searching. Something glints. Seventh floor, third window, building right across from them. We're doing this cat-and-mouse thing? Ah, yes. I believe running is not really your style, is it, Mr. Castle? Cut the shit, he interrupts, staring right at the sniper's nest across from them. What do you want? I think you and I both know the answer to that. Frank squints at the vantage points he can spot. Can't find anything else besides the glint of the rifle scope on that third window. You've been protecting the devil. Red, soft and drowsy with sleep under his hoodie, comes back to his mind. Don't need protecting. Mr. Murdoch seems to believe hiding in the shadows will protect him from the truth, but it will do no such thing. Frank can suddenly see it with such clarity, his hands digging into the behemoth's neck, the bone breaking under his hands. Fury pollutes him like red thick smoke from the inside out and he can only breathe it in, let it intoxicate him further. Gets him remembering red, hitting his head against the wall, probably hearing cries for help outside and sinking his nails into his skin not to jump into action. Gets him remembering that phone call, almost a month ago. Please, Frank, I need your help. Tell me, did he receive my message? Frank doesn't answer that. Would never let Red see that shit. Kid would eat himself alive at the thought of people dying. In his perception, because of him. Would offer his own head on a fucking silver plate. Yeah? Mr. Murdoch is a stubborn man. It has forced me in this uncomfortable position. Frank's sure he's in the most comfortable position possible right the way he likes it. Looking down at people he can control. For now, I have no quarrel with you or your friend, Mr. Castle. Give me Matt Murdock, and I'll tell my man to stand down. Static fills the space, crouched on the floor, putting pressure to the kid's wrist. Curtis looks up to him. Yeah, you know what? He stares his friend right in the eye, feels like grabbing the back of his head and cutting that bomb's wire off again. His fingers caress the trigger. 
I meant what I said before. I don't work for has-been crime bosses. Much less fat cat scumbags, pieces of shit like you, Fisk. So you listen to m No! You listen to me! The ferocity gives him a pause. Frank licks his lips in irritation. Bodies will continue dropping, which I'm sure wouldn't bother someone like you as much as it'll bother Mr. Murdoch. Should he not be at the address I provide you with in 24 hours, the next bodies will be Mr. Hoyle's and Karen Page's. He freezes at the mention of her name, words getting stuck in his throat. And as I believe, satisfaction drifts through the static right to Frank's ears. You have a connection with both. Fury burns bright behind his eyes, and Frank sees white-hot agony when he opens them. There's just one thing you forgot. Never again, he thinks. The carousel song, a chant forever stuck in the back of his head. Lisa's laughter fading under the gunfire. Never again. I know where you sleep these days, remember? He drops to a whisper. Make sure none of his intent gets lost. Don't need much to do what I need to do. You hear that? I'm coming for you. For all of them. One shot, one kill. No quarter given. No one survives. They all pay. You are not. Fisk answers with no hesitation. Because I believe you'll make the right choice. Yeah? Why's that? A mutual friend of ours is heading right now to the New York Bulletin. His stomach drops. I believe you remember him? He does. He remembers the cold, sharp grin. The glinting eyes from the costume that should be a perfect copy, but looked completely wrong. The man who ricocheted bullets without breaking a sweat. Got Frank knocked down with a piece of rock when he had been armed to the teeth. Is Matt Murdock's life worth more than Karen Page's and everyone else in that office? Frank swallows the dread that tries to climb its way up, lets fury and fire consume all the rest. Twenty-four hours, Mr. Castle. Fuck! He throws the walkie against the wall. It shatters to the floor. Heart beat erratic against his chest. His eyes stare into Kurt's for what feels like the hundredth time that night. One batch, two batch. The man nods, and Frank's moving out of the door. Karen doesn't die tonight. Neither does Kurt or Matt. Penny and dime. They all pay. Fever. The person you were. You are always becoming. Their breath spilling over. Your neck. A breath. A shore. A whistle. A knife. The clock strikes 0800 and Matt tries to recall the trip from Frank's living room to the small, dingy bathroom. There are fumes surrounding him. A fog of hot, vaporized water that clogs his nostrils and sticks to his skin like a thick veil. He attempts drying himself with the towel. Cotton rubs at his skin until it's raw, red. All he knows is heat. It's hot, and he can't figure out where the heat is coming from and where it ended. It was December already, wasn't it? Then why was it so hot? I'm Matt, he mumbles. Curls his tongue around the name so he can feel the imprint of it when it leaves his lips. So he remembers what it feels like. How M opens to A. How the double T sounds when the tip of his tongue leaves the back of his teeth. It's December. I'm in the safe house. He woke up from a dream. He had been sweating all over the sheets. Someone said his name like it was something precious. Lips closed around his, and then he was trapped. Trapped under the rubble and that woman. The one who smelled so familiar. Like something he knew intimately but couldn't name. She was there. We're going to die here, he tells her. This is what living feels like. Frank's safe house. Where is Frank? I won't be here to protect you. Not here. 
he went to Kurt. And Kurt is... Kurt is chamomile, paper, and minty aftershave, antiseptic, and a metallic-sounding leg. Kurt is fingers checking on his head. Any hallucinations? Sweat mingles with water and drips down his face to splatter on the sink. The sound is deafening. It's December 4th. I'm Matt Murdock. The surname feels strange leaving his lips. D mingles with C, and the O gets lost somewhere in the middle. It's too hot. His head's been pounding since the noise started again, like someone thumping back a hammer and... That was for you, part of the show. What does that mean? Do I have to spell it out for you, Red? Matt squeezes his eyes, his hands flex against the sink. Sweat and water gather from his hair strands. Can't tell if it's a memory or something he imagined. He just knows he's hot. His skin is melting right off his bones and his muscles feel loose and heavy. He's cold. Chains press him against a chimney. I'm not the bad guy, Red. Bang. Noise coils hot like a supernova, tight around the bump on the back of his head, where he hit it again and again against the wall. He's trapped with it. Him. The noise and the heat. Matt smells for infection. Checks his own vitals. Can't find anything in his bloodstream, but his lungs crackle. His airways wheeze in a way that has nothing to do with the swelling in his throat. Muscles feel sore. Sick. He's sick. The tinnitus in his ear stopped an hour ago, and the noise from before shrinks away at the heat until it's just another voice in the dark, like the old lady next door talking on the phone, or the couple crying at a movie in the building next to him. Matt's heartbeat is just another in thousands. I'm Matt. His head hurts, just enough that he's dizzy with it. Lavender soap mixes with gunpowder, diesel, car smoke, Frank's forgotten pack of cigarettes, and Mexican food two streets away. Sounds and scents rise and fall like waves, and Matt doesn't fight the ocean. It's December. December. The city rises with the tide. His muscles cramp with the effort of staying put, of not doing something as the night drags on, and he isn't sure what exactly it tells him he needs to do, but it screams. Move, he thinks it says. Get to work. Fifteen. He kissed a girl for the first time. Thirteen. Stick left. Nine. He can't see. Older. He's on a rooftop. Frank points a gun at him. Bang. A woman walks him home. It's raining, but they don't care. The scent of her hair is most of what he can remember. Drugstore bought shampoo and fancy conditioner. The heat suddenly feels suffocating with the skewered memory of someone he isn't sure he hasn't made up, so he leaves the bathroom. It was raining. He could see her clearly. She was beautiful. You're not going to kiss me. I'm feeling a little something. But that's not her, is it? Matt's not entirely convinced it's anyone. Think he has a vague memory of her lips moving with the words. But it's not her. And Lindsay, she's so young. She's crying. I didn't mean for you to get hurt, Matt. I'm so sorry. But it's not her fault Matt couldn't swim. He thinks maybe Dad tells her that. She's scared. Mrs. Cardenas wasn't. He tells her not to take the deal. But it doesn't make sense that he does so. She's in danger and Matt can't remember why. Frank says it's Fisk. It all goes back to Fisk. Police report of shots fired. Radio? No. TV downstairs. Reports of multiple casualties and what looks like an intentional. Everywhere. Sirens blare through the streets and creep into his blood. 
and the New York Bulletin, according to several eyewitnesses, where it looks like an attack was carried out by none other than Daredevil. His breath hitches. Who does this guy think he is, Daredevil? The itch spreads and the heat simmers and crawls all over his skin. Can't tell where it starts, but it's everywhere. His fingers reach under his shirt, find all the scars he didn't have an explanation for. The ones on his side, twisted and deep like a hook. Like, it had hurt. So much. He remembers the squelch of blood soaking through his ruined clothes, being dragged, fire, the Hudson, a ninja. So Matt is chased after all, and he fought. We are receiving confirmation of multiple casualties. Some of the survivors claim that they were saved by the believed-to-be-dead Frank Castle, also known as the Punisher. The NYPD and FBI seem to be trying to follow Daredevil and the Punisher's trail. The itch turns into a fire, and Matt sits and lets it consume him. He promised Frank he would stay. Stay here, Red. Stay safe. He didn't need to voice it for Matt to hear it. In his heartbeat. In his breathing. Permeating everything around him. The heat turns thick like molasses around him. The noise hammers at the back of his skull. Sweat gathers like glue on pale skin. Who does this guy think he is? Daredevil? He leaves through the window with what little cash he can find, and takes the first taxi to the bulletin. He's coughing by the time he gets to the source of sirens and radio chatter. His broken and cracked ribs ache and screech in agony with every cough and wretch, but Matt hardly pays attention. He doesn't remember walking out of the taxi or paying the driver, only comes to himself as he's up and standing close to the sirens, fighting dizziness and weak limbs, feeling impossible that he'll be able to track Frank and the... the other one without falling apart, but it doesn't matter. Frank's inside, the place is surrounded by cops. Frank is a wanted fugitive, and he's the only one Matt has. The thought hits him like a sucker punch. Frank is the only person Matt knows and actively remembers. The only person he's had any kind of contact with since he woke up. You'd have made a hell of a Marine, Red. They fought each other. They fought together. Doesn't remember why or when, but he knows. Matt dodges FBI agents and cops, using the dark to cloak himself. It takes an uncomfortable amount of concentration to pinpoint exactly where the light reaches with the migraine that's been building and the heat that has him shivering at the frigid night air. He focuses on Frank's scent when he's away enough from the agents, tries to find his heartbeat only to get lost in a hammer being thumbed back, a mouth he knows curling in a barely there smirk and a rasping out, bang. Why would Frank shoot him? Finds that the answer doesn't matter with surprising ease. Honing on Frank's heartbeat among the loud blaring of sirens and emergency services would take energy Matt doesn't have, so he follows his scent instead. Gunpowder, coffee, antiseptic, cigarettes, blood, leather. Follows it all the way to an abandoned distribution center three blocks away, where Frank's smell was contaminated by mold, wet concrete, diesel, and blood stains. There's the wet squelch and a grunt from a voice Matt knows well, and the heat takes second place to cold crawling under his skin. Frank is fighting. Frank is fighting the devil! For a second, Matthew thinks he's hallucinating again. The pain spreads from the back of his head to his right temple and rises as a sharp ring in his ears. Gets him stumbling the steps to the second floor. He believes it's a hallucination, up until the point he notices a woman crying as she fights to stand up, a palm pressed tight to an injured arm. She smells terrified. Salt water drifts into the air, and Matt tastes it on his lips. 
He immediately strays out of the path to stroll towards her. Ma'am? He calls for her attention. Senses jumping from her to Frank, to make sure Frank is okay. But he's not. Two puncture wounds in his left arm. Sprained wrist. Cut on the abdomen. Glass stuck to his right bicep. Mild concussion. He swallows. Turns to the woman. Ma'am, you have to get out of here now. She freezes completely before her breath leaves her in a strangled sob. Oh my god, Matt! His focus flickers. Ears honed to her. Heartbeat, breathing, smell. Tries to find anything that makes sense. Until it dawns on him. She knows him. Matt, you can't be here! He'll... His hand moves before his brain can catch up to his body. Air changes as it's cut through. Frank's breath hitches, as if about to shout. Matt's fingers close sharply around the projectile coming their way with surprising conviction. A baton. Matt feels its weight, twirls it in his hand, tilts his head down as he listens to how it moves, how metal absorbs the heat from his fingers. He knows this. He knows... He knows this! Who are you? The man smiles at him. It feels like what Matt thought staring at a broken mirror felt like. I'm Daredevil. The man in the devil suit stops for only a fraction of a second, before using his remaining club to try and strike at Frank, who promptly dodges with a grunt, pain response flaring minimally from his injuries, and hormones filling the air with a thick, bittersweet tang of adrenaline. Matt doesn't waste another second wondering. He takes aim and throws the baton at the devil, who protects his head in the last second. Frank gets two, three good hits in as he crowds the man closer to the wall, before Matt jumps into it kicking the devil's hand away from an abandoned chunk of glass on the ground. Frank misunderstands his attempt as Matt trying to get into the fight, which isn't that off the mark, and throws an arm out, pushing him away. Take Karen and get the hell out, Red! But Matt can hear air whistling through his broken nose, the creak of unhealed ribs from a while ago, the pain flaring every time he punches with his sprained wrist, his battered body staggering more and more, and Matt can't hang back and watch. They synchronize so fast, Matt has to wonder again if they've ever fought side by side. Frank turns to him for barely a fraction, and Matt nods. He punches the devil in the guts. Matt blocks any attempts at advancing while kicking him back into the broken glass. It doesn't pierce the body armor, but gives him weapons. He can't dodge all of them, and the air is momentarily taken from his lungs when a big shard goes deep in the muscle under his right shoulder. Frank uses it to tackle the devil down, breathing roughly through a broken nose. He roars raining down fists at the devil's face, and Matthew hears the hairline cracks in his knuckles where they hit over the cowl. The devil manages to knee Frank in his battered torso, and Matt jumps in, ignores the dizziness and his hacked-up coughs, the pain numbing his right shoulder and arm to anything but agony. He manages to drag Frank away and kick the devil with enough force that his head snaps to the side and his whole body goes limp. Matt steps back, hands coming to his knees as he coughs. The weight in his congested chest feels like doubling every minute he stays out in the cold night air. Over the ringing in his ears and his ragged breathing, he catches the familiar sound of a hammer being thumbed back. He flails where he stands, catches Frank by the wrist in a vice grip. Fuck's sake, Red. You never fucking change. There are sirens approaching. We have to go, Frank. They're looking for you. Something in the way he talks or carries himself has Frank stopping altogether. Heartbeat speeding up minutely, before dropping right down. It almost sounds like relief. Good to have you back, Red. Matt isn't so sure, but he doesn't mention it. Felt like talking to a shadow, suspended in dust. Feeble and barely there, 
but with enough of a presence for Matt to know it's not getting carried away by the fog this time. Frank's knee wobbles, and Matt immediately jumps to help him steady himself. Let's go when the Marine immediately refuses the help. He knows that suit. He thinks he has a vague idea of who made it. Remembers the feel of Frank's bullet bouncing off the helmet. His helmet. He doesn't know the man wearing it, or the woman who clearly knows him, breathing raggedly and fearfully as she waits outside the building. The woman whose voice he thinks maybe he knows. Maybe. Oh God, Matt, are you alive? Can you breathe? But no, that's not her, is it? That's someone else. Red. Frank's voice is down to a rasp, his fingers twitching by the trigger. Let's go. The strain of his voice gets Matt going, only to go down in another coughing fit. Frank's hand is strong where it clenches around his shoulder, smothering blood in his jacket. Let's go. Matt allows himself to hold him back, feels the warmth and certainty of his skin before letting go. His heart rate goes down. Frank is fine. Frank can move. Frank does the same, a second later, fingers suspended tracing over his injuries, his heart skipping a beat, breath going choppy and wet. You good? Just, just a flesh wound. The soldier nods, a bloodied finger coming to brush along his cheek, staining the corner of his mouth with crimson. Let's go. They stumble down the steps, and Frank immediately limps closer to the woman who smells of paper. Bad coffee and aloe-scented shampoo. Perfume, a bit fancier. He thinks he maybe smelled that before. Her vitals go erratic at the sight of them, blood-covered and staggering. Frank's breathing speeds up when she whispers, Oh my god! Under her breath, sobs forming in her throat, but never getting to leave. Karen, they're getting closer. It sounds like a poor attempt at an apology. He cares for her, Matt concludes. They know each other. And she knows Matt. And he feels like a spectator at the show of his own life, where he doesn't know the characters and much less the plot. Go. The lady is crying. Her heels click against wet concrete when she walks closer, shivering arms trembling when she reaches out to touch him, and Matt fights against a flinch. Thin, long fingers find his hand. She touches him like he's some kind of miracle, and he can't help the unsure way he angles towards Frank, seeking something he knows, understands. A shake of head, eyes closing and blinking away tears. She sounds apologetic. Go. I'll be back. Tell them you want the other way. Frank breathes like a bull through his fractured nose. You go straight back, Karen. Straight back. I will. Matt, she whispers, too far for anyone other than him to hear as they walk away. I'm glad you're alive. Her voice breaks and her footsteps don't fade from his hearing range until she's back with the sirens and agents running around the bulletin. He catches up to Frank with an arm cradled around the rib he broke in the bar, following the man home and listening to the symphony of cuts, bruises, and breaks all over Frank's body. Matt's still coughing when they sit back in the improvised cot by the broken window, every lurch making the glass shard move in the muscle between his chest and shoulder. Frank takes care of him quickly. It's difficult to keep still for the stitches when his fever reaches its peak and he can't stop shivering. So the Marine holds him down. Stitch after stitch, he closes the wound in his chest. The sound triggers something. Frank stitching his own arm on a rooftop. Matt tied against a chimney. Morning, sunshine. He didn't meet Frank at the hospital. Bang. He focuses on what's in front of him so he doesn't wander away from the moment. Frank's lower back touching his crossed legs as he does the same, stitch after stitch after stitch. 
as he closes a particularly nasty one between his shoulder blades. The taste of blood lingers on his tongue. It pollutes the whole room. Frank barely flinches with the pull of thread, only punctuates one or another with grunts. How's your head feeling? He drawls with that accent stuck between Queens and something inherently castle. Hurting? Not much. The tablets Frank shoved down his throat, as much as he loathes to admit, helped with the fever too. Told Matt he was dehydrated and overworking himself like a mother hen, before shoving the first aid kit in his hands and grumbling for him to get on with it. Frank quiets for a minute. The devil? Matt sighs. He isn't talking about the man they left in the building, and they both know it. Gone. And it was. Or it seemed for now. What he did know now was who he was. I'm Daredevil. A myriad of memories and fragments of information rush through his mind, and he barely holds on to one or two before they mix and clash into the fog. He knows they're there now. That you are, Red. His breathing hitches only slightly when Matt snaps the thread. His nose brushing Frank's cervical bone when he bites down on it. Remembers doing it to someone else. Someone who smelled of coconut shampoo. Sweat. Blood. This is not the end. He's not so sure of the lines who defined her apart from the fog now. It's replaced with the woman's aloe scent. Paper and ink. Perfume and copper. She knows me. Frank doesn't ask for clarification. Yeah. She was crying. And touched him as if she didn't believe she could. She was scared. It's not untrue, but Frank knows he's deflecting, and so does Matt. He doesn't call attention to it. He's dizzy by the time he finishes with the punctures on Frank's left bicep. Frank? Yeah? What are you trying so hard to hide from me? He shakes his head. Told you. That I have to remember on my own. Feel it. Yeah, you did. The little sound at the back of his head mixes with Frank, aiming the gun at Matt's head, squeezing the trigger. Bang. It's important, he mutters, just then realizing their proximity. Face is close enough to share the air as he bandages Frank's left arm. The woman, she's important, isn't she? Yeah. He doesn't miss the odd wistful tone permeating Frank's words, almost regretful, and Matt can't figure out for the life of him why. To you, too. He ties up the bandage, checks its hold keeps his face angled away from Frank, even when he can feel his breathing right against his temple. That unwavering, single-minded focus of his, crowding him into his own space. The thought comes to him that Frank doesn't seem all that present in the conversation. Karen, she... she never forgot my family when everyone else saw the... Skull, he mumbles back. The smooth texture of the x-ray he felt over and over again, sat in his office, trying to find something... A link, a connection, an explanation. It felt like peering through a window into someone else's life. You did too, though I... He laughs as if the notion is absurd to him. Thought I deserved justice too, that my family deserved justice. Matt looks up, doesn't shy away from the breath close to his face. I still do, Frank. The Marine flickers out of the conversation before he comes back, heart rate thundering slightly faster before he manages to settle it down. I had my justice read. Matt is finished, but his hands linger on the injured, properly dressed bicep. Fingers light where they touch skin and gauze. Thinks of, see you around, Red, and bang, and you shot me, he blurts out. Needs the words out there, so they stop crashing around his skull, forcing the broken parts out. 
Frank only nods, reaches out to touch Matt in return, and hesitates, hand freezing midair. Matt tilts his head towards him, lets him feel the small scar there where skin broke with the impact, wonders if Frank feels it too, a fissure, a mark. I couldn't hear. He banged at the bricks behind him and screamed, screamed until his throat was in agony. Yeah. A hitch, a skip in his heartbeat. He didn't know. Matt thinks how odd it is that he didn't run away. Stayed when he smelled the guns in Frank's cabin. Stayed when he killed seven people in front of him. When he found out the man was a wanted fugitive. Stays now that he knows the man shot him in the head once. With those fingertips feeling carefully for the scar, Matt thinks of the odd peace he found underneath those hands. The same ones that are so quick and effective at taking lives, and so desperate to keep his. Wonders what Frank sees in him that he finds worth saving. Those fingertips slide down to his temple, and then to his jaw, and Matt can't help but shiver at the cold fingers against his overheated skin. Index traces the side of his neck before cradling the back of his head, careful of the swollen bump a few inches up. Frank pulls him closer, and Matt offers no resistance, closes his eyes when lips press carefully against the scar. Is this an apology? he whispers, quiet as not to disturb Frank, his lips still pressed against the top of his head. A small smile. It feels genuine. Nah. Frank is the first thing he recognizes through the flames when he wakes up. There was something in him that Matt's body remembered, that had his senses keenly tuned to his every move. He knows the feel of his scars and the strength of his fists and the precision of his aim. He knows the warmth of his palms, pressing against his armored chest and throwing Matt into the water. He's surprised when Frank moves first, chapped lips scraping against his eyebrow and the bridge of his nose before finding Matt's lips, opening a wound in the corner and staining their chins in ruby drops. The world on fire narrows down to a pinprick, Frank in his hands and his lips in their heartbeats as loud as if pressed tight to his eardrums. He presses closer, sighs when Frank's hands slide down to his back, fingertips into the nodules of his spine, bone by bone, careful of his broken rib, and then cuts and nicks on his shoulder blades. Matt takes him by the neck in turn, presses down on strong muscles rippling under the skin, sighing when Frank's tongue sweeps over his bottom lip and Matt sucks his in return. It's soft and slow, and Matt thinks a few more pieces of him break, and he lets Frank have them, lets him cradle them in his hands just as Frank slowly pulls away, each attempt failing as he comes back for another and another, the intervals between one kiss and the other diminishing until he separates them completely. With the memory of soft lips on his and the rippling muscles straining under his palms, Matt is reminded of the fact that Frank is a time bomb, a loaded gun dropped in his hands. It's almost too easy to forget in moments like this. Matt is laid bare, and it barely registers. He's been laid bare to Frank since the first day. Not like this, he whispers. Their lips brushing together, and Frank presses them once more, like he can't help himself. Matt exhales a wistful sound, licks the remains of Frank's blood from his lips, and maybe the sight does something to the Marine that he feels the need to say it out loud again. Not like this, Red. That's not my name. Frank tries a crooked smile, indulging the distraction. Hadn't noticed. He sighs, bringing his fingertips up to card them through Matt's hair, palming his nape to bring him close again, bury his nose into auburn hair. Matthew. The redhead sighs into the closeness, allows himself to soak up all the warmth and comfort he can. He may break in a thousand pieces, but he thinks, 
oddly and perhaps naively, that Frank would be there to hold him together. Matt closes his eyes and presses the gun against his temple. Like Hiroshima, ash and eating in. The sin, the sin. Darling all night, I have been flickering off, on, off, on. Poems and excerpts taken from, in order of appearance, Blood and Stone, Ray Goriand, Advice from Dionysus, Shinji Moon, Paper Cuts, Natalie Center's Zapico, Memory is Sleeping, Sanawani, Fever, 103, Sylvia Plath. Trigger Warnings Displayed Corpses It's a little graphic. Frank finds two cops whose eyes have been taken out, hands tied behind their backs, and both shot in the belly. The displayed part is because they weren't killed in their cars, but were put there for either Frank or Matt to find as a warning message. This happens in the end of Part 1, Shatter. Choking. During a fight, a man steps on Matt's neck and chokes him for a few minutes. Death and gore. Frank kills a lot of people. There's graphic descriptions of stabbing and gunshot wounds in Part 1, Shatter. Self-harm. It's not intentional, but Matt disassociates and Frank finds him hitting his head against the wall, so it is, in a way, self-harm. Beware if that's a triggering topic for you. It happens in the middle of part two, noise.